I close my eyes and see you before me, think I would die. I couldn't have got this, but I'll tell you one person who did, and that is Amy in Wellington. Kia ora, Amy. Kia ora. Well, it's nice to hear from you. Nice to hear you, Amy. And what did it for you? Did, it, did, it, did you get it straight off? Um, it, it took me a couple of words, and then I had it. Someone special once put that on a playlist for me, so... Oh. <laughs> no, say. <laughs> uh, may, maybe, maybe. Uh, um, but nonetheless, uh, Australian band, quite quite the banger of a song, isn't it? It sure is. Yeah, good on you, Amy. Hey, thanks for being with us. Um, yeah, pleasure. Very, very good. Um, I touched myself, Peter Dunn. I mean, there was a time when people would sing about singing in the rain or walking on mm. sunshine. Now... It's all guns blazing, isn't it? Well, it is. I must say I'm not familiar with that particular tune, but I quite mm. like the melody. Um, and I think that, that a lot of those sort of traditional songs that we grew up with that were slower and more sort of measured are losing out today too. I, I mean, I heard yeah. Jesse play um, something earlier on today from a, a woman. I think it was a first a first song. Uh, just Right. And, and it was magnificent. I forget what it was called, but it was she got hold of him, asked him to play it, and he did, and it was just phenomenal. It was called Stay, I wonder That's if I'll Yes, said. yeah. yeah no, by, I think it was By great. Lisa Grace. Yeah. Yeah. Nonetheless, you'd be, this, this, that's, that's a bit of a dance floor tune, isn't it, uh, Lavina? I touch myself to vinyls. I love the divinals, yeah. and I, I remember that song. I absolutely love it. But, yeah, the, we don't hear the softer ballads so much anymore. It's a bit more like J. Cole and Kanye, and my teenage son even said to me he would prefer to read words from J. Cole than he would a book on Shakespeare. So there I thought I'd go. give him a plug. Back to, sh- <laughs> Back to Shakespeare. I'm glad to hear most of the panel decrying the Shakespeare kneecapping. Not a good look for New Zealand. Shakespeare is almost universal in his relevance to the human experience. Another one here. Shakespeare is universal, that word, that word again. It's a symbol of imperialism, then so is the Bible that was written at a similar time. Uh, so, yep, thanks for your sh- thoughts on Shakespeare. 25 to 5, just a word on this. There has been a major BBC investigation into Kamal Santamaria, a veteran TV journalist, just 30 ta- 32 days into his job at at New Zealand's top broadcaster, TVNZ, when he resigned. This is the BBC. And it's drawn on interviews with several current and former employees at Al Jazeera. The BBC sent Al Jazeera a detailed list of the 22 allegations it had uncovered. One colleague, for example, saying, Then came the touching in the office, Tory says, a hand on the shoulder, a weird hug, and the worst, the kiss on the cheek. On more than one occasion, I had to go to the bathroom to wipe Kamal's saliva from my face, quote-unquote. Peter, so again, uh, not a huge amount we can add to this, really. It's been in the news, hasn't it? But those questions are raised yet again. Where were those reference checks? If Santa Maria's behaviour was this widespread, how did it pass muster? How did it pass the gatekeepers at TVNZ. Absolutely. I mean, you, you could you could have tried to defend him earlier on by saying the behaviour was unknown, but clearly that's not the case. And it's not just a few incidents. It's widespread, systematic right throughout his career. And as you say, Wallace, how on earth that the people uh, from Al Jazeera in the first place who sort of uh, pitched him to TVNZ either didn't know, weren't aware or weren't prepared to say about this is just appalling. Do you think there'll be lessons learned from this, Lavina? Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, this BBC investigation, actually, because we, we hear a lot about uh, Mr. Santa Maria, but you don't hear a lot about Al Jazeera. And this has come out and said 
you know, there's a fostering sort of toxic work culture underlying happening there that I'm sure the broadcasters here in New Zealand would know about because we all know about everything in, in television and what's happening across the way in broadcasting. So a little bit more digging would have been appropriate. And it's interesting that it took a BBC investigation and not an investigation from the country who decided to hire him in the first place. Hmm. So that investigation is just out, uh, a major BBC investigation into Kamal Santa Maria, uh, a veteran TV journalist. And meanwhile, you're all, you, suddenly you're all fans of Shakespeare. Uh, Sherry says, well, is Shakespeare genius? His insights hmm. into human nature apply as much today as ever. His use of language, magnificent. Shakespeare in schools doesn't preclude learning anything else. It expands understanding. Don't dumb down life for our wonderful young people. I am disappointed in you. Wallace, there's a play. Why you, me? You, what did I say? There's a play you should go and see. It was it was it was a one man show being been done a few years ago, I think about four or five years ago in Wellington by uh, the late Ray Henwood. But it's a one man show called Blame It on Shakespeare, and it's a just a a monologue really of Shakespearean quotes that are in everyday language, and it's just mm. well worth seeing and enjoying. And oh. you realise the relevance of Shakespeare when you do that. Wonderful. Thank you, Peter. Uh, 22, uh, 438 uh, on the panel. Uh, And to this, um, the family court. Have you had experiences of it? It was set up in 1981 uh, as New Zealand's first specialist court. But some advocates and experts are saying the family court experience is subpar. And now a campaign has been launched by Humans of Family Court Aotearoa. And it features stories from a collection of parents highlighting the trauma and poor outcomes they've endured while going through New Zealand's family court system. For example, here's one. The abuse I experienced while I was with my ex was nothing compared to the hellish abuse they are enabled to continue against us through family court. Their vexatious litigation is one more way for them to try and destroy me, quote unquote. It's one of many. And with us is Jodie Hopkinson, a spokesperson for Humans of Family Court. Oh, Jodie, welcome to the panel. Yeah, hi Wallace, good to talk to you. As I understand it, since your article uh, and story appeared on the RNZ website and in the news, you have been inundated with responses. Absolutely, and we're running a billboard campaign as well, and people have seen that. And um, I think people are really responding to hearing their lived experiences, reading, seeing how how they've experienced the family court being reflected in the stories of those who've been brave enough to already share. Um, it's a narrative campaign. We, we really want to collect people's stories to share them anonymously. Um, if you've been through the family court, there's a gag order, so you can't actually talk about what happened uh, to you in the family court or um, your verdict. Um, but we often experience experiences anonymously. We're really shining a light on that darkness that that silence creates. And... Um, we're aiming for zero tolerance of violence in the family court and for transformational change. It's got to change. It's it's a hellscape at the moment, frankly. A hellscape? Um, it is a hellscape. And it's, um, we ran a survey and 79% of those people, of the 355 uh, respondents, said they had a negative res- um, experience in the family court. Um, you, you can be, regardless of race, gender... Um, how much you make, how you present, you you can be yelled at by a, a, a judge told you're lying when you're explaining why 
perhaps a child should go this many days to the other parent. You can be told blamed for um, your uh, your children's anxiety. You could have a the other parent could have sexually assaulted one of the children, but the other two children um, once that parents out of prison will still have to have contact with the other parent. Um, if you bring evidence nicely, tidily, even convictions of violent um, behaviour from the other parent, um, you can be told, stop talking about that stuff. It's a distraction. Uh, if you don't stop talking about it, you'll lose custody of your children. Right. Yes, and I've been. Do. Yeah, I've just been on your website uh, during the day reading some because there's testimony on the website. You can just do a Google mm-hmm. search: "Humans of Family Court Aotearoa." Um, and yeah, it's, it's quite something. Here's one; it's a short one. Um, trigger warning: violence to animals withholding access, and it uh, wound its way over seven and a half years in family court. The control and abuse began after we left my hometown with a new baby. At various points during our on again, off again relationship. He locked me out of the house, hurt our pets, threatened me, put a non-removal order on our child. I was granted a protection order. He failed his anti-violence course, was raging at the suggestion of supervisor's access. At one point, he took one of our kids and withheld all contact, separating two siblings from each other. There have been court appearances for his breaching of the protection order and threats to our children's school staff. The drama never ends in suffering of a family and I just want it to end. So, um, Lavina, that's a seven and a half year ordeal in the family court. Quite the issue, huh? Yes. Well, it's like you, I read the collection of stories as well and found found them fascinating and often disturbing. Um, I know people who have been directly affected by negative experience in the family court, mm. losing children overseas uh, to a spouse because they claim that they couldn't afford an expensive lawyer here to keep the children in the country. And it does appear that this system is not working for a lot of people. I applaud uh, Jody and the Humans for Family Court for conducting the survey, which showed nearly 80% of the people that go through family court have had a negative experience. But the question I have for Jody is, why do you think it takes five to ten years for a transformation of family justice because that's what we're all being told. We're making little steps. It'll happen, but it'll take five to ten years. Can you afford to wait that long? No, no, not at all. Uh, 2018, there was a call for a Royal Commission inquiry. Government said no. Again, 2021, these calls for a Commission inquiry are not going to go away to really get to the heart of what's wrong with it and then do transformational change. Uh, Once again, uh, the government of the day is suggesting just, you know, tittering around the edges. So uh, they're just suggesting, and it may be happening, a kayata heed, like a guide through the court to explain the processes. Because even, you know, when we throw a band around this order, that order and that, it's very, it's confusing and it's hard and it's upsetting and then you don't understand the legalese. But like I said, it, you're going through hell and so having Kayadahi holding your hand walking through hell, yeah, it's a and, 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 but it's not, it's not good enough. Yeah, uh, and yeah, quite a response to this. Uh, Mary says, Wallace, 1985, family court, abusive marriage, five children under 14. As we climbed stairs, my lawyer said to me, don't mention alcohol, the judge likes his whiskey. Traumatic experience, only a woman there, mm. and I felt very uh, intimidated. Just a response from Peter. Well, uh, I must say, um, I've dealt with 
God knows how many cases involving the family court during my years as an MP, and I formed the view, and I think Jody's really confirmed it this afternoon, that that the problem is fundamentally a confrontational system where you've got the two sides arguing it out before a judge. Now, what you know, what what the idea behind the family court was originally was to be some sort of a, an arrangement where agreements could be reached, but the yeah. moment it's become confrontational, it's in the interests of the lawyers to drag things out. I mean, I've I've dealt with cases where the parents were almost on the point of agreement until the system itself stepped in and said you can't you can't do that because we've got to have a custodial parent and a non-custodial parent and we've got to work out access arrangements we can't leave it to you to work it out between yourself and all of a sudden the whole thing falls apart and it just seems to me that you know fundamentally we've lost the plot here we've we're trying to apply the law far too rigidly to okay. very tense family situations when a much greater degree of flexibility and sort of mutual tolerance is required brief response to that jody um I think what is needed is for, and we're suggesting a two-day workshop that uh, the judiciary judges can take part in to, to under, better understand the excellent legislation that was brought in 2018 and 2019, explaining what the broad spectrum of what abuse is, so that um, all judges understand what abuse looks like and they're more trauma-informed. Because at the moment, there's a vast disconnect between a lot of judges' decisions and uh, what lawyers and lawyers for child even and well as the families are saying yeah. would be right for the children. Very good, Jodie. Um, yeah, it's, we... it's a luck of the draw. If you get a good judge on a good day, you might get an okay um, agreement. On a bad day, you might just be yelled at and lose your kids. Jodie Hopkinson, uh, spokesperson for Humans of Family Court Aotearoa. Go and search for fa- Humans of Family Court Aotearoa and you can learn a lot more uh, on the issue. It's 14 away from five. Now, usually cans of soup are associated with Andy Warhol, but the throwing of tomato soup over a Van Gogh painting has raised the question of whether climate protesters have gone too far. The painting is now back on display and two protesters have been charged. The protesters argue people are more important than a painting. The cost of living crisis is part of the cost of oil crisis. Fuel is unaffordable to millions of cold, hungry families. They can't even afford to heat a tin of soup. It's just one in a spate of strange protests, including two other protests that glued themselves to a Picasso painting and activists pouring milk over supermarket floors. Uh, and just as an aside, uh, uh, the painting wasn't damaged. There was glass on that and the Picasso, there was perspex. Nonetheless, with us is sociologist and activism expert at Macquarie University, Dr Justine Lloyd. Welcome, Dr Lloyd. Hi, nice to be with you. Good to have you on. Why are the protests using these methods of protest rather than um, blocking streets, which actually we've had in the last couple of days here in New Zealand? Oh, OK, so um, I can talk about the New South Wales and Victorian yeah. protests. So in Australia, we've had um, a long uh, conversation about climate change and the influence of fossil fuel industries on our politics. And I guess we're seeing these increasingly bizarre protests and quite attention-grabbing protests because um, what's been happening to other forms of protest is that they have been outlawed. So there's increasing fines for what we might think of traditional kinds of protests, so blocking streets and so on, but also during COVID, um, mass rallies and those kinds of demonstrations were not possible. So I think what we're seeing is sort of a move into social media-type attention-grabbing 
acts which um, yeah do get a little bit increasingly strange and attention-grabbing. Well, that's the word, isn't it? And I think one of our panellists, uh, uh, Justine, is not so much a fan of the attention-grabbing aspect of it, Peter Dunn. No, I was going to ask the question, really, Justine. You, where's the line between the attention-grabbing and the turn-off? In other words, the, mm. the, the audience sees the, the, the throwing of the soup over the painting or whatever it might be and then says, that's gone too far for me, and, and the protagonists start to lose support for their cause. Where's that line, do you think? Yeah, look, I think these, the Extinction Rebellion is kind of at the extreme edge of a group of organisations which are working in coalition, not always, I wouldn't say they endorse each other's tactics, but there's a huge range of groups, you know, right from farmers straight through to um, you know, the people who've been affected by the floods. And then there's groups like Lock the Gate, um, which works with farmers and uh, environmentalists. And they've all been talking about these issues for a long time, but um, not getting much attention. And I'd say Extinction Rebellion, which is a group that's taken credit for these protests in Australia, they've been trying to get get their issues covered for a long time. And so they're trying to sort of push the envelope a bit (laughs) to get things talked about. Where we're at in the political cycle here in Australia is we just had our first climate legislation for a decade passed. So we do have targets by 2030 and um, targets to 2050. But at the moment, just next week, the federal government will be passing its first budget, the Labor budget. Um, And these groups are really trying to get the subsidies taken out of the budget, which have been given to fossil fuel industries, gas and coal over the last 10 years or so. And the numbers are quite staggering. Like the... It's estimated that the Morrison government committed $5 billion in its last um, term and something like $55.3 billion in future subsidies to fossil fuel companies. Um, so we can't sort of see much action on that happening in Australia. So these groups are really trying to get that, that conversation going. But yeah. I agree that their message gets a bit lost. And yes, what, what's, for what's sure. the public reaction been? Did, is it too early to tell? Are, are people... Are people taking aboard the message or are they just seeing the protest? I think people it's starting a conversation. So people yeah. sort of are curious and go, why, what's going on, um, what happens? And I would say that the activists have been very careful and respectful of the artworks and designed the protest that they didn't damage the artworks in the long term um, and that they really wanted to have a conversation with the people in the gallery and with the journalists. So I'd say that actually... It has been successful in getting a longer attention span apart from just the protest itself. Mm. So there have been interviews with the activists and their spokespersons been able to write um, opinion pieces in the newspaper, which I haven't seen for a long time. Um, that those kind of issues are being debated. All right. Um, I, I, we'll have to I'll leave it there, Rosine, but thank you very much for uh, being with us. That is uh, Justine Lloyd, Dr. Justine Lloyd from Macquarie University, uh, activism es- expert. But, uh, Lavina, brief, briefly on you, did it change your mind throwing soup at uh, Van Gogh's sunflowers? Well, oh, i tell you what changed my mind. The cost of living and climate change is a concern for me and for lots of people in the community, but these people could invade an oil terminal and the media wouldn't give a rats and there'd be no attention. But in a way, they've superglued themselves to a Picasso, albeit through <sighs> perspex, so they haven't destroyed yeah. the art. 
and the right. media has given their attention and all of a sudden the community says, okay, I hear what you're saying. We are concerned about some of these issues. So it might be working in their favour and they haven't destroyed the art. All right. Uh, now, oh, uh, kia ora, Ali Moore here. And our work on uh, Santa Maria at Stuff definitely did cover Al Jazeera's handling of complaints contrary to your panellists' claim. The BBC just fails to mention it. Uh, it also claimed TVNZ did not find any problem with the hiring process, which is incorrect. Uh, kia ora, Ali. Um, for God's sake, Wallace, people are more important than the market and luxury goods. Uh, polite protests are ignored. If something truly requires protest, might there be a place for outrage? Uh, thank you very much. Quite a big response to that, actually, um, and uh, quite a varied response. Uh, climate activists are desperate and for good reason. Look at the climate events happening globally. When are we going to start to care? When? Something else to think about. Our national rugby team are funded by oil and gas, which we know is destroying the planet. Are we happy with that, as uh, Kiwis says, Sophia? So to the rugby... The Black Ferns cruised into the Rugby World Cup quarterfinals against Wales. It was a brilliant attacking game at Auckland's Waitakere Stadium yesterday. A penalty count reduced the Black Ferns to 13 players in the second half, but took it away to 56-12. Although Black Ferns coach Wayne Smith wasn't entirely enamoured with the performance. Meanwhile... Tournament favourites, England, clashed against France. A pretty brutal game in Whangarei with England edging out a win, 13-7. And with us is Alice Soper, rugby player and commentator. Kia ora, Alice. Kia ora, how are we doing today? Very well. Exciting game against Wales. Black Ferns in great form here. Oh yeah, a love letter to offloads was written on 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 the next <laughs> weekend. It was just like, how many hands can this go through before we cross the line? But the coach, Wayne Smith, not entirely over the moon. Oh, I mean, and I don't think I am either, and I don't think the Black Ferns will be. Uh, there was a lot of um, issues around our set piece as well. Discipline, obviously, in the two in the bin, but scrums. I mean, I love yeah. a scrum, and we got pushed <laughs> off a couple. Yeah. Uh, Lavina, are you watching this? Yeah, heaps of it. Absolutely heaps of it. First of all, uh, Namihi, an acknowledgement to you, Wallace, for having heaps of sport on the panel. Bring it on. You're rocking it today. Love that. <laughs> Love that. Um, yeah, no, I thought they played outstanding. I know they get a rest against Scotland before they either take on England and Canada. But, uh, I mean, Alice, the most exciting thing for me was the line-out drive. It was good. We know the Poms are really good at that. So if we keep the ball going quickly and continue with that good line-out drive, then I think we're in with a chance. And the other exciting thing was Portia Woodman at 31 years of age having an outstanding game with two dots over the try line and then young Sylvia Brunt, who's only 18 years mm. of age. I mean, the age difference between those two, I can guarantee there is no ageism going on in the Black Ferns at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Alice, stay there. Let's bring Peter in as well and uh, we'll, bring, we'll come back to you. Look, I thought it was a fantastic game yesterday and, and it was the way rugby ought to be played. It was classic, it was fluid, there was there was speed, there was grace, there was all sorts of things. And I think a lot of that's, you know, you can see it, the Wayne Smith influence. But one of, one of my sons said to me the other day, you know, it's much more fun watching the Black Ferns play than the All Blacks these days because they play a much more exciting brand of rugby. And I think that was demonstrated yesterday. I think there were some problems with the forwards, but um, he's still sorting out his top team. And I'm sure by the time they get to the business end of this tournament, they'll have that resolved.
Can I just mention while you're hairless too, I've got to mention Fiji. I mean, an incredible yeah. win against South Africa. Um, Karolaina and Naisiwa crashed under the post in, what, the 79th minute to yeah. score that <laughs> try, which, you know, gave Fiji 21-17. So there's that hope they might uh, make the, the quarterfinals. Yeah, I got to be very smug because I had pointed to the person next to me. I said, they're going to score off the kickoff because Fijiana right. are that type of team. They're going to do the thing they shouldn't every time, right? Uh, so that was such a classic to steal it at the death. Look, it's a, it's a tough ask. They're mm. going to have to require Wales to completely fall apart against Australia because the points differentials aren't great for them at the moment. And they're going to have to put uh, you know, a big game against France, who, for goodness sake, that French defence was something unreal on Saturday. I'm terrified of it now. You look online and, uh, you know, what you're saying on Twitter, social media, that you're just living this World Cup. You're just loving it. Is it living up to your expectations? Oh, absolutely, mate. Look, I I think it's no secret that I love women's rugby. um, And this tournament is making me fall more in love with it. Just There's so many special things. If you are getting to these towns, walk around in the morning before the games. I've ended up having brunch with legends of the game just because we happen to be in the same coffee shop, you know. First weekend it was Shani Williams. Um, We can just go on to sell matters. It's it's ridiculous, the access that you have to these people. They're so charming. They're fantastic ambassadors. Just get down and get amongst it. You're missing out if you haven't got along. Oh, kia ora, Alice. Lovely to have you on the program. That's Alice Soap there, uh, rugby player and commentator. And do you side with that, Levin? I mean, you're a, you're a sports fan, sports uh, participator. Uh, do you agree with uh, what Alice is saying there? I think the tournament so far has been outstanding. And I actually agree with what Peter's saying as well. When I was yeah. over at the Olympics and the Sevens were playing, a lot of people were more interested in the women's gold medal match final mm. than what they were when the men coming through. And I, I do believe that the women's game has got to a level of such skill and strength. Mm. And, and there's such magnificent athletes to watch that you don't really know now if you're watching men's or women's rugby. You're just watching a magnificent rugby. game of rugby. And hats off to hosting it. <laughs> Folks, we're out of here. Wonderful panel of Ina Good Peter Dunn, thank you so much. Rowan Quinn on Checkpoint next. I'm Wallace Chapman back tomorrow, 3.45. Bye.